With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Two-Footed Podcast. I'm Dave Hendrick, and joining me today to discuss his new book, You're Joking, Aren't You? The Story of Middlesbrough's 96-97 season is Tom Flight. How are you, Tom? I'm doing great, thanks. Yeah, how are you? I'm not too bad. Not too bad. So I have been a fan of pitch publishing for a few years, and I've had a couple of their couple of their guys come on, Ryan Baldi, I came on my old podcast, and Lee Scott has been on this one. And I'm always just kind of looking to see what else is coming out. And I came across your book and uh, it immediately caught my interest. So tell me a little bit about the book before we get, get too deep into this. Yeah, so um, I um, I grew up in just outside Middlesbrough. So I've I been a Borough fan all my life. Um, and I was sort of nine, ten years old when this, uh, this season happened. Uh, so it was pretty, you know, kind of a formative time as a football fan. And it was a pretty extraordinary time to be a football fan in Middlesbrough um and I was just I was kind of freelance writing for various uh websites and um magazines and stuff and I actually um I wrote an article about this season for a magazine which actually got and ended up getting rejected uh but I gave it to my wife to read um because she kind of proofreads everything for me and she said oh wow this is you know this is a good story you should maybe write a book about it and I this I, I've seen pitch publishing, you know, a lot of writers on Twitter, and I just thought I just throw them a pitch, and uh, then they got back to me and said they wanted to do it. So um, that's kind of that's kind of how it happened. Um, so yeah. So first of all, I do need to chastise you because I know you, you mentioned in your book that your wife Elizabeth reads all your stuff and that you have made her read tactical breakdowns <laughs> on Tony Pulis. I mean, I, are you trying to get divorced, Tom? Is that what you what it's all about? <laughs> Well, um, yeah, I mean, she definitely is looking for me to kind of uh, branch out with other things to write because she says she does she does struggle to um, kind of uh, concentrate reading all this football stuff because she has no interest in, in football. But yeah, I was right. I was I was blogging about uh, Middlesbrough with Tony Pulis this season, and um, that was def- that was definitely a, a pretty rough time for her. I'd imagine so. I would imagine so. So this this period has always fascinated me, just, not just this club, but the Premier League as a whole, 
coming off the back of the 94 World Cup or only a couple of years into the Premier League era, and you start to see like international stars like Brian Roy rocks up at Nottingham Forest. And then Borough get come out of nowhere. First of all, in 94, they appoint Brian Robson as manager. And they've got a decent squad. There's some good players there, like the likes of Craig Hignett is there. Chris Morris and Curtis Fleming, two Ireland internationals. Neil Cox is there. Uh, Nigel Pearson's there. There's quality players. There's the, a couple of foreign, well-known foreign players. Jan Agafjortov, now known as a, as a journalist. And Jaime Moreno, who would go on to become one of the MLS legends, yeah. um, are there. And he gets them promoted. So they come up into the Premier League. And in that first season, they've got their shining new stadium. And then they really swing for the fences. Firstly, they bring in Nick Barnby, which was a massive surprise because everybody thought he was going to be a key part of that Spurs team. They had that five-man attack under Ardiles with uh, Klinsman, Sheringham, Darren Anderton and Ily Dumitrescu. And he was the fifth part of that. He was really important to how they played. And yet somehow Burrow managed to grab him for just over five million. Mm. And then they follow that up by bringing in Janinho, who had just broken in the Brazil team in the what was the precursor sort of to like a Confederations Cup in 95. He was part of that Brazil team that saw Roberto Carlos um, or Edmundo and people like that kind of become well-known stars. Yeah. And he ends up at Middlesbrough. How, how does this happen? Like, in your research for the book, have you delved into... Where did Burrow find this this money from? Like, what what was the draw for them? Uh, well, I mean, the the book in a way is kind of like a love letter to Steve Gibson, who's a chairman. Um, he he's the guy who he was a young businessman in the eighties, and when Middlesbrough was literally on the precipice of going of going under, he uh, managed to put together a consortium to save the club. That was in nineteen eighty six. Um, I mean, he became chairman in nineteen ninety four. And he he just had a he had a really thriving business. So he 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 pumped he's been pumping money into the club um, for 25 years now. Mm. So that was a big part of it. But also um, after that initial Murdoch deal, um, when the Premier League started, that 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 deal was was renewed in 1995, um, and it basically just uh, it just it kind of exploded. Um, so we we so there was so his money was just going out of control in the league. And because Gibson was able to kind of back it up with his own money, it just put Middlesbrough at a level where they could compete financially with uh, pretty much anyone in the world. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, the signing of Nick Barnby at that point. I mean, I think he's kind of comparable to kind of like a Jack Grealish mm. uh, in, in the modern age. Like, and that, about 5.25 million, I was pretty serious money. I think, you know, Dennis Bergkamp signed that summer for, like, for around 7 million. Colin Moore was a million. Um, so I think, uh, um, you know, Middlesbrough were like able to, to compete, um, with, with the big boys and with Janino. So Brian Robson was Terry Venable's assistant, uh, at England. So he was in the dugout for that Umbro Cup, that tournament you're talking about. Umbro um, Cup, that was it. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that team, I mean, I think, I think Ronaldo scored his first goal for Brazil in that tournament against England. And, uh, Janino was, he was kind of almost, uh, he was kind of a star of it. Like he was a number 10, uh team was very much kind of like pushing the the new the new era of the Brazil team like after that 94 team this was going to be like kind of a new generation and Janinho was the one pulling the strings at number 10 like he was 
he scored a free kick against England, so he was taking free kicks ahead of Roberto Carlos at that point. And I think he just uh, he was the one who kind of caught the imagination. Um, and then it was I mean so it was a combination of Gibson I and mean, also Brian Robson. Brian Robson was this new new manager. You know, he had this great career, but he he had you know he's a very ambitious manager. And he, he apparently him and Keith Lapp, who was the chief executive of the club, uh, they just flew to Sao Paulo after that tournament. They didn't even have a meeting with um, with anyone. They just thought we'll fly there. We'll just we'll see who we need to talk to. Knocked on some doors and and. Basically, they just uh, connected with Janino right away, and Janino was getting offers from Arsenal, Inter Milan, um, and other clubs. But Middlesbrough Widow Club, he kind of flew out there and really made the effort, and I think that went a long way with Janino and his family. Um, and I think Janino kind of, you know, he wanted to, he he was just interested in this in this project. He'd never he'd never heard of Middlesbrough, but I think he was just kind of caught with the like the optimism and the. Uh, enthusiasm of Gibson and Robson and I think that that played a big part of it like, m- money money was the thing that's taught the most but uh, I think there was there was definitely a vibe about the club at that point that was really uh, really exciting there was real excitement and you're, you're 100% right when you say that like Nick Barnby then was basically Jack Grealish now but Janino then was was like the equivalent of say Zaniolo or or Tonali or somebody now from you know, a major footballing power coming on the scene, being announced as like, this is the guy who's going to lead this next generation. Mm-hmm. It's it's impossible to think of a, a newly promoted club now, even with all the extra money that's in the game now, coming up. And even with Leeds, say, with the pull of Bielsa, and they're talking about looking for Rodrigo de Paul, and he's a star, but he's not a Janinho-level star. Like. No. You couldn't really, for to, to people that didn't live through this, you couldn't really explain to them how uh, Borough were so ambitious back then, how they were able to go about this. They also brought in Branco, who'd played in that Brazilian 94 team, won the World Cup, had been brilliant for Genoa for a few years, um, scored an incredible goal against Liverpool in the UEFA Cup, was yeah. well known. And they bring him in as well. Like They are, they are properly going for it at this point. Yeah, and it's kind of like there's there's two kind of ways of looking at it because people like Janino and Nick Barnby initially like they were re- they really bought into the uh, into the into the project, but then you also have players like Branco and you know he he has definitely a different reputation on the club. I mean, he was basically just a mercenary. I mean, he came for the for the fat the payback that Gibson was making, and you know he was kind of out of shape and he never really seemed to do anything to get back into shape. So he was he was definitely kind of a flop. Um, but yeah, I mean, but it just, it just shows that the um, the you know the the, the dynamic of the club was just unlike anything that had been seen before, really. And talking to some of the players for the book, I mean, they talk about how, how um, one of them spoke to Pearson, who was the captain who Robson brought in, and he kind of really policed the dressing room. And I mean, there was such a differential between people like Janino and Rabinelli, and the money they were on was just astronomical compared to you know your Steve Vickers or Curtis Fleming. So it, it was a really it was a really strange dynamic, um, and uh, you know that probably caused you know some of the friction and issues that would uh, unravel in that season. So I, I assume the plan was always like they're going to have Janino and Barnby, these kind of twin attacking midfielders, and they're going to be really creative and scored all the goals. The problem was both of them seemed much better suited to playing with Craig Hignett who was happier to play off the ball and kind of filled the little gaps and 
was just a really clever and really underrated footballer. It's it annoys me to this day that Craig Hignett never played for England because he was really really good. Yeah. Um, that first season, then they finished twelfth, and it's a great accomplishment. They've you know not really had any problems with relegation. They go into the next summer with enthusiasm, and this is the the season then that covers that that, that the book covers. So, if we thought Janino was you know. A big coup. Fabrizio Ravanelli's last act for Juventus was to score the winning goal in a Champions League final. And -hmm. then the next time we see him, he's rocking up to Middlesbrough. How does that happen? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it is crazy. I mean, it's just, you, I mean, it's hard to think like, what the uh, equivalent of today would be. I mean, it would be something like, it'd be like, I don't know, a Cardi signing for, um, I don't know West Brom or something. I don't, it's just it was it was a crazy uh, it was a crazy situation. Um, and talking to people about the book, it was it, it came down to money as well. I mean, uh, Rabinelli had uh, he'd obviously never heard of Middlesbrough, and Juventus were looking to offload him because they just bought in Vieri and Boxic. So they were looking to kind of cash out and get the maximum out for him. Um, but Viali also on Burr's radar. He left on a free. Um, and he was, you know, one of the first Bosman uh, signings for Chelsea, and so he was getting like a, a, a ridiculous wage packet because you know we didn't have to pay a transfer fee. And apparently, Rabinelli's agent said to Middlesbrough, you know, you're gonna have to pay Rabinelli as much as Viali if you're if you're interested. And they thought that would kind of put Middlesbrough off, like you know we'd have to worry about them anymore because they're not gonna do that. But then Steve Gibson gave the green light, and we paid him as much as uh, Viali. Um, so yeah, it was just a, it was just a wild. This is a wild situation. Um, and I don't, I mean, I don't think uh, Ravenelli ever really kind of mentally prepared for it. I don't think he knew what he was getting into. And I think that kind of caused a lot of the the issues because he, he, you know, he, he had that debut against Liverpool on the Riverside. And that was like, that was still, still one of the most electric games I've ever been to where he scored a hat trick. Mm. Um, I think he got swept away with the excitement of that team. Um, but I, you know, you just you could just see it just kind of uh, just kind of falling apart throughout the season, and I, I don't think he ever. It was a major culture shock, but I don't think he ever really, really came to terms with, and that's kind of um, why he only lasted a year. I remember at some point, I don't know if it, if it was when he was at Borough or after he left, he spoke out about how he had never wanted to leave Juventus. He thought after his goal in the in the Champions League final, he would become one of the main men and he would be kept long-term and there'd be much more respect for him. And then, like you say, mm-hmm. you know, he, he went to Borough because that's where the money was and he knew he had to leave Juventus because if, if it wasn't there, it would have been somewhere else. I think he just cashed in on, like you say, the Viali deal because um, Chelsea paid Viali a, a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah. Um, other players that arrived at that point, um, Mark Schwarzer arrived from Bradford who would go on to play in the Premier League for about 300 years. He, he came, I think, a little bit later in the year. And Gianluca Festa came in later in the year. Yeah. Um, Gianluca Festa, who at one point said he couldn't wait to retire because he didn't like playing football anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, the, other, the other big signing that year, and the, the one that I don't think anybody really knew a whole lot about, but Bobby Robson came out and said, this is one of the most naturally talented midfield players in the world. He, he's going to be incredible. Uh, was Emerson, who came from Porto for about four million, and um, he, that was a strange one. That, that was like one of those things where 
pre-internet, you, you don't really have access to a lot of these players. But he was, you know, highly rated in Europe, and Burrow went and grabbed him, and there was a lot of intrigue around him. Yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of a it was kind of a weird situation because he um, he was he was a young guy. He, he'd been in Portugal since he was a teenager, and he, he played with Bobby Robson, and he he got. Uh, the Portuguese player of the year for that season, that 95, 96 season, when Porto ran away with the league. Uh, but there was some, uh, there was some problems going on financially at the club where they weren't really paying the players on time. I don't know what the ins and outs were. But basically, I think a few of them were getting fed up. So Emerson jumped ship as quickly as he could. Um, so pretty much as the season ended, he, he signed for Middlesbrough in May. So it was the season had barely ended and he he was already at the stadium kicking the ball about. So Middlesbrough were, were really quick to get him. Uh, but it's just it's one of those kind of like sliding door moments because Bobby Robson he he loved Emerson but he ended up moving to Barcelona that summer so I think it was in June end of June he he got appointed manager at Barcelona so if Emerson, if Emerson had been you know a bit more patient and kind of explored his options a bit I, I'm you know ninety nine point nine percent sure that Bobby Robson would have brought him to Barcelona. And for Emerson to be in that environment and that Barcelona team, you know, obviously Mourinho was a coach with Bobby Robson and then mm. Guardiola and all those guys. Van Gaal was going to take over the next year. I think he would have had a completely different career and he, he might have been one of the most dominant midfield players of, the, of this generation. Uh, but instead, he kind of he went to Middlesbrough with his, with, his, uh, with his wife, who apparently described Teesside as a strange and terrible place. <laughs> um, they never settled and his parents were scared of flying, so they refused to come. So... Um, he had a really kind of, you know, fairly miserable time at Middlesbrough. But, you know, but at the same time, he, he kind of did capture the imagination of the Borough fans. So, I mean, Borough fans today, I mean, if you speak to them, I, I, know, I know a lot of them that will say that he was the best player they ever saw in, the, in a Borough shirt, like on natural ability. Like the things he did, you've never really seen, seen before. And he was ahead of his time in many ways. He was like kind of like a deep line playmaker, like the way he could kind of run, he could kind of pull strings from uh, from, mm-hmm. from, uh, from the back was... You didn't really see that type of player in the in the English game at that point. It was more kind of like box to box midfielders running up and down. So he, I mean, he was he was brilliant, and particularly in that first couple of months, I mean, he was just smacking goals in from thirty yards. You know, like the Brazil 1982, 86 teams. So he he was really exciting to watch. But yeah, he, he had those problems off the pitch, um, which uh, and it, and I think his his career never really never didn't didn't really go in the direction, but it, but it probably should have done. No, I mean he he stays. About 18 months with Borough. And then he kind of just becomes a journeyman. He goes to Tenerife. He goes to Deportivo. He ends up at Atletico Madrid for a year. Rangers for a year. Vasco da Gama for a year. Um, Skodajanti, A.K. Athens, Apoel, and Madura. And he, like you say, if, if, if you play his career out a hundred times and you end it a week before... So you start it one week before he goes to Borough and you just play it out a hundred times. Ninety times out of that hundred, he probably has a much better career. Like you say, yeah. he probably goes on to become one of the best midfielders of his generation. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, um he scored some think- spectacular goals, but his his dancing <laughs> was was also something that was very, very new to English football and maybe not always appreciated, but he just seemed to really enjoy playing football he just had this really innocent enjoyment of kicking a ball around and that was maybe he was a little bit too bright-eyed and and kind of jumped at the burrow idea but maybe that's what 
kind of held him back a little bit easy. Maybe he wasn't cynical enough. No, yeah, I think that's definitely the case. I think he was, he did kind of embody that kind of, you know, that kind of Brazilian kind of joy for the game. Um, yeah, and, it, and like he, he brought that kind of, and Middlesbrough was just kind of like, you know, obsessed with that kind of samba deal. So he kind of, he really played into that, yeah, with, with his dancing and stuff. Um, and I think just, you know, I, I you know, I love, Brian Robson is like one of my, one of my heroes for what he did for the club and what he did um, for the club at that point. But, there's, there's no doubt that he was not necessarily the greatest technician or the greatest kind of developer of players. Like I think because because of, of the way Robson played the game, like he he just he could change games on his own. Like I think he just had a belief in great players. He let them do what they want, and uh, th- good things will happen. Um, and I think you know in the case of Juninho and Ravanelli, that's fair enough. But I think with Emerson, with that kind of like naive spirit, I think he needed a bit more kind of structure and guidance if he if he was going to fulfill his potential so that's why i just think if he had been in a different environment um he could have developed his game and um because he, he, had, he had issues with discipline and you know going through this season there were quite a few like you can see where he's he's not really in the game he's lost concentration like, i think i think he could, he definitely could have um he could definitely could have benefited from a more more structured uh, situation than what Millersborough offered at that point yeah it did very much seem like Robson's idea was we're going to have three or four stars and then just a bunch of water carriers and they'll do all the hard work and the stars will win us the game. And it looked like it might work for a while, but when when the wheels fell off and when those stars either had injuries or were out of form, there wasn't enough depth of quality and he probably wasn't a good enough manager to turn things around. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think that I think that is definitely fair enough. Um, and he he just didn't really. It's just it's just kind of ironic because when he did come to the club, he did kind of build a really kind of balanced team. Like he brought in people like Nigel Pearson and Neil Cox and Fiotov. And even before Juninho came, and the football we were playing in the Premier League before Juninho came with Barnby, Hignett, and Fiotov, it was it was some of the best football I've ever really seen in the Premier League from Middlesbrough. Um, it was had a really balanced team. Uh, you know, difficult to difficult to break down. Uh, but then when Giannini and Rabinelli came along, they, they were kind of just left to do what they wanted. And I think that just kind of broke up the fluidity of the of the team. And like you say, once you once you kind of worked out if, if they were injured or if you worked out how to stop Giannini, then the whole thing just kind of fell apart. Um, so I think there was definitely, I think there's a naivety that's kind of ran through Robson's time at Middlesbrough the whole time. Um, and it's just kind of like one of those uh, kind of classic Icarus moments, you know. We just kind of we didn't really we didn't really prepare to to fail in a way. So this season, the the, the ninety six ninety seven season, um, it begins pretty well. In their first six games, they have three wins, um, two draws. The the, the opening day draw with Liverpool when Ravenelli gets the hat trick. And just the one defeat away to Chelsea. And that's a really good start. And at that point, you're kind of looking at it and thinking, Borough could be up to something this year. They were fourth after six games. Mm-hmm. They then proceeded to go on an absolutely appalling run, where in the next 17 games, they only won one. Um, and at, at that point, they were just in real trouble. 20th in the league. Looked lost. But somehow were an unbelievable cup team. Absolutely yep. incredible in the cups. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was I spoke to um, some of the players about like why they thought that was, and you know, w- w- did they prepare differently for 
for cup games or league games. And they said they didn't, they, didn't, they weren't really conscious of doing anything different. But they said that the um, the pressure of of playing in a cup game was just totally different to playing in like a relegation battle. And I think the players, particularly um, particularly the kind of stars like Emerson and Ravanelli, they just kind of they kind of thrived in that kind of cup night atmosphere. So I mean, it was. I think in that run of 17 games where we didn't win, right in the middle of that, there's this game against Newcastle in the Cup where Newcastle were top of the league at that point. They're just beating United 5-0. They were playing a full-strength team, and we absolutely destroyed them. And Janino had his, you know, his best game in a, in a shirt up to that point. Mm-hmm. Emerson, Emerson, uh, Emerson had disappeared, and he actually came back for that one, one game. I mean, he disappeared again. So, uh, it, I mean, it was really bizarre. And there's so many examples of that season where we'd have this epic Cup night I remember um, in the quarterfinal against Liverpool um, of the Coca-Cola Cup, Liverpool, they were riding high in the league, full-strength team. We beat them 2-1 with a brilliant performance. And then the following Saturday, we lost 1-0 at home to Southampton in just absolutely miserable game. And it was just, it was just really, uh, it, was, it was just bizarre. And that kind of what made uh, the season so memorable and like a real roller coaster because it was just, you know, you'd think you'd have an incredible night, one of the best nights you've ever had as a fan. And then literally a couple of days later, you'd be going to the same stadium and having one of the worst days of the good days of fan. It was just, uh, it was just, it was just a really, it was just a crazy year. I, I can't speak for everybody my age, but I remember growing up, like where I grew up, all my mates were Liverpool fans or United fans or Arsenal fans and, the odd Leeds fan and Seamus Crowley was a Sheffield Wednesday fan for God God knows why. But we, we all sort of adopted Borough as our second team. We were all like, this is just fun. Like they've got Janino and Ravinelli and all these stars and you know Brian Robson's a legend and Emerson's a ton of fun to watch. And we all just sort of were, were rooting for them. And like you say, they'd play in the cups and they would just be phenomenally good. Yeah. Like you say, I was at that Liverpool game. Oh, you were? Where, yeah, I was at that game um, with my dad, and they they win, you know, two one, and then the next week they just they you, you you look at the paper they've rolled over in the league, and time after time this just seemed to happen with them, where you know they they turn up massively in the cups and like you say it probably a lot of it was you know the excitement of the cups whereas in the league in that relegation battle like Janinho was coming from a top Brazilian team the Brazilian national team wasn't used to that sort of atmosphere Emerson arrived having won back-to-back titles at Porto and as you said that second season with Porto they just ran away with the league Ravinelli had come in having won the Europa uh, the, the Champions League these guys didn't know how to play in a team scrapping against relegation. They knew how to play in a top-end team, not in a bottom-end team. And that mentality was just clearly lacking through the year. Yeah, so um, I think that, that is a big part of it. Um, and I think with, uh, with Middlesbrough at that point, because um, there, was, you know, there was so much kind of like ambition and you know, Steve Gibson was really trying to he, he was definitely trying to create this this new era. He was trying to create a new identity for the club, and I think because we had we had we'd never won a trophy in 120 years of existence, um, so there was real like feeling. If, if you read the kind of match day programs, there was you know Rob's talking about how he really wants to win a trophy and bring a trophy home for Middlesbrough. So I think there was a sense that we were really going to give cup competitions a go. Um, so I think that that's also a big part of it. There, there was just a sense that. 
we were going to be a cup team that year. And I think once the league form kind of dipped, uh, it almost just kind of, um, you know, it, it kind of, I think we never really felt like we would get, we would be in a relegation trouble. We, we thought mm. we were too, too good for that. So we were kind of focusing on the cups. And then suddenly it got to Christmas and it was like, oh my God, we're, we're like bottom of the league and half our team's out injured and we're kind of screwed here. So I think that was, that was a big part of it is that we, we definitely saw ourselves as a, as a cup team that year and that, but added to the, the occasion, I think. What's, it, it's telling how bad things got and how far behind they fell when you consider that from the 18th of January onwards, they only lost four games. They beat Sheffield Wednesday, drew with uh, Wimbledon, lost to the Toon, lost to Sheffield Wednesday again uh, in the second game. Beat Derby, beat Leicester, beat Blackburn, beat Chelsea, drew at Forest, drew at West Ham, lost to Sunderland. Those losses to Newcastle and Sunderland, especially at home, must have hurt. Uh, yeah. Lost away to Spurs, and then beat Villa. And then they had like a tough run-in with United, Blackburn and Leeds, all good teams. But they managed to get three draws from them, mm-hmm. and yet they still finished 19th. Like, they did finish two points out. One win would have kept them up, but that... They left themselves with so much to do. Yeah, and I think because it was in March um, where we, we went on that run, and that was just when Fester and Swartzer kind of got into the team. I think the first time they played together in a league match was a 6-1 win over Derby. And so that's when we really kind of, we sorted out, we sorted the defence out. And then the and that's when we began to kind of thrive in the league. And that run of four games where we... Um, we won. Janino, he was player of a month for March. Robson was manager of a month. So at that point, it looked like, oh well, you know, yeah, we, we, this is this is really how this is how we should have been playing the entire season. Uh, but then, but that's when the cup fixtures started to pile up. And it's those three games we drew with West Ham, Forest, and then lost to Sunderland. All three of those were scrapping in the bottom with us. So that that was that was massive. Not being able to win at least one of those games, like I say, yeah. if we managed to win one of them. Uh, we would have stayed up. Um, and it, I think it was the congestion. I think we eight matches in the final eight. Oh, sorry, we played four matches in the final eight days of the league. And even the cup matches, you know, we had, we had to play um, Chesterfield in the semi-final, but went to extra time and then a replay. And the same happened in the in the Coca-Cola Cup final. We went to extra time on, at Wembley and then the replay went to extra time as well. So, I mean, we were just playing in, in the same amount of football. Um, players, players were just kind of falling apart on my, on my last day of the season against Leeds. You know, Rabinelli, he was out injured. Emerson went off injured, and um, you know, in Clay Blackmore's book, he talks about how he, his body just gave up with 15 minutes to go. Like he just couldn't, he couldn't go on. Uh, Janino was the only player who just seemed to be able to uh, to kind of keep going, and he he was kind of like the, the one guy who kept us he kept us going. At some points, he was almost single handedly keeping us keeping us in the fight. It's incredible to think that Janino won the Premier League Player of the Year that year and was, by all accounts, outstanding for the majority of the season while everything around him was just total chaos. It's funny, just looking through the squad list for that year and there's just a lot of nostalgic points. Like, Mikel Beck was was a really good striker. Like, there was just there was an awful lot of talent in the team. Ben Roberts had fantastic hair. Um, there was just an awful lot of good players there, but... There just there was no plan B. Plan A was the stars are going to win us the game, and plan B was we don't know. Um, like Phil Stamp, you know, 
replaced um, Jamie Pollock as the sort of the kick people guy in midfield. Um, yeah. There was just an awful lot of good players. But as a, as a Borough fan, if you'd gone down and won either of the Cups, and in truth, you really should have won the Coca-Cola Cup. You're the better team in that first leg, in the first game against Leicester. The second game, I, I didn't feel Borough turned up. But in that first game, Borough were the better team. Would that have made up for it? Would winning that trophy have made uh, up for the pain of relegation, given the lack of trophies across the history? So, for me, like for me personally, that that first uh, the Coca Cola Cup final, um, that was just such a an amazing day. Like like I say, Mills, we never been to a major cup final. We we played at Wembley once in our history. It was a ZDS Cup final in 1990, which we lost. <laughs> so that was like such a like an incredible um, like occasion. Like you know, just walking Wembley Way and just being filled with Borough fans. That's sort of something that stayed with me. Uh, forever so if we'd won that game i think it would have just been like just such an amazing day and when when Rabinelli scored the goal um in extra time to take us one nil up um it was you know the atmosphere i've never experienced an atmosphere like that i mean the the red half of the stadium was just was just shaking and i think uh i like like i say we were the better team so we just felt for, for those 20 minutes it just felt like we were going to win the trophy so i think if we had won the trophy i think that definitely would have just stayed with me forever so for me personally i think winning a trophy would have definitely made up for relegation uh, i spoke to the players about this and I, I asked them that one question i said you know would you take winning a trophy and going down or would you rather stay up and won no trophies and um i think craig Hickness said that he would he would take the fa cup that meant more to him than the league cup mm. um but uh yeah i think definitely for me winning, winning that first trophy would have been such a ma- such a major thing uh, the FA Cup final, I was at that game as well, but that was such a different kind of vibe. I think, you know, we, we went down the week before and it was, it, you know, after, I think the club was still kind of, like, fans were still kind of like in shock a little bit. And it was just a weird atmosphere and you just kind of, you just kind of, you just went into it completely differently. And the way, the way Di Matteo scored in the first minute, it was just, um, you know, the game went from that point. Um, it's funny it's, Ch- Chelsea weren't that the big bad monster that they are now back then, that was like pre-Roman. They'd started to spend a bit of money on Di Matteo and they brought in Viali. They would bring in Casaraghi a little bit later, Frank LeBuff, people like that. Um, Hullet yeah. was in charge. And they were good, but they weren't like... It wasn't this massive gulf. Say, the equivalent now would have been, say, Man City against Wigan from a few years ago. And Wigan had gone down and would go on to win the cup. And a lot of their fans say the same, that they, they're happy to have won the cup because they'll only ever get that one opportunity. They can get back into the Premier League, but that opportunity to win the cup was so important. Yeah. But I, even though, like, now, if if, if a, a neutral looks at a cup final where there's a giant and a team who've just gotten relegated, most neutrals will plump for the underdog, will want to see that underdog win. Yeah. Back then it wasn't the same, but I still think, you know, so many people were were on v- Borough to win it. People just wanted Borough to get that bit of success because everybody knew they'd gone down. Ravinelli's out of there. Janino's out of there. Emerson's probably gone. And Robson might even go if they don't win something. And yeah. like you say, the Di Matteo goal after seconds and then Ravinelli goes down and starts making the signal that he has to come off. That 
that had to be absolutely crushing for the first what? That's 15 minutes in, your goal down and your, your main goal scorer has gone off. And I think, and that's kind of one of the, that's kind of one of the kind of, you know, what if my, uh, you know, if we had won the League Cup, we probably would have stayed up because, you know, we, we would have been, the mood of the club would have been different. And if we, I mean, even if we, if we had stayed up, we would have approached that FA Cup final completely differently. Because I like talking to the players, I know for a fact that they were just kind of sick of the sight of each other by that point. Um, you know, they kind of rallied to try and stay up. But once the relegation hit, I think the players were just, you know, they, they, were, they weren't in the right frame of mind at all to play an FA Cup final. Uh, there's, there's the stories of like Rabinelli and Neil Cox coming to the blows mm. uh, during the first shoot. So, um, so, you know, it was almost like, I mean, even if you watch that Di Matteo goal, I mean, it's a great hit. But he's just, you know, he's just kind of like strolling through the middle of the park. There's no one near him. Yeah, nobody goes to make a tackle or close them down. Yeah, so I think you could just kind of you could tell that the club were just not at all prepared for that for that final. Um, yeah, I mean it, that that was just a, that was just such a such a weird day. And, yeah, it's just sad because you know Middlesbrough, you know, you know, very possibly might never ever get to an FA Cup final again. And F, the FA Cup final was still a big deal back then. You know, a bigger deal than it is now. The year before was that United Liverpool game. So. Um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a massive shame, and also it kind of met, you know with Rabinelli and Janino going, leaving. Um, it also means that all the players we had lined up for that summer, if we stayed up, you know, they're pretty like they're the uh, writers of the Evening Gazette, the local newspaper. I mean, they've kind of said like in print that Middlesbrough basically agreed terms with uh, Batistuta and Paul Ince to come if we stayed up, and apparently Roberto Carlos was you know very possible. Uh, signing as well, so I mean, obviously you don't know for sure if that was going to happen, but you know we we, we would have been linked with some uh, some big players, and you just don't really know where, where the club could have gone. I mean, they, there was such a there was an IVE about the club that we probably weren't going to become a you know one of the top clubs in the league. Like, like Chelsea, this is obviously obviously the beginning of Chelsea's kind of like launch to what to the kind of mega club they are now. Like this mm. was the first season where it kind of became that kind of started in a way. I think. Um, you know. And that's the thing. If if Burra had stayed up, been able to add a couple more stars, won won a cup, all of a sudden maybe foreign money starts looking at them and saying, right, well, like Steve Gibson's very very like incredibly ambitious. Mm-hmm. He may be willing to sell half the club to get a bunch of money to pump in, and and it is a real sliding doors moment. And as I said, like that first, the first cup final against Leicester. They're the better team. They should have won the game. They don't win the game, and it's it's in really heartbreaking circumstances. Then two days later, sorry, three days later, they're asked to play a league game against West Ham. It's a disappointing draw. Mm-hmm. Then they play the replay, lose the replay, don't really turn up for it, but then it's back-to-back league losses. The Sunderland game, a game they should have won, and then Spurs, and if they had either won that that West Ham game or or won that Sunderland game, in all likelihood, they do stay up. And then, as you say, they, they do go into that cup final in a different mentality. Like, there's a real surge of confidence, most likely, about the players. Now, look, Janino might well have gotten cherry-picked because a lot of clubs had started to circle around him anyway because of how talented he was. And he was the best player in the league that year. Um, yeah. Ravinelli might have decided to go, but... The draw of Borough would, would have been there and players would have wanted to come in and play 
for a team that was clearly going places. But unfortunately for them, it's that triple hammer blow of you lose one final, you go down, you lose the other. It, it really is massive. Now, the next point is it, the wheels really could have come off and they could have just tumbled into oblivion because we've seen clubs go down when they weren't expected to go down and really, really fall apart. But that's not what Borough did, is it? Like, they went down and they were like, right, that that plan didn't work. Here's the new plan. Gaza, Paul Merson, we're just going to reload more star names. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, that, that is kind of, you know, it, it was definitely, the, it was, it was a, the money that kind of did the talking again that season. I mean, Paul Merson, I mean, I think people sometimes think that Paul Merson's career kind of deteriorated and that's why he ended up in Middlesbrough. But he, he, had, he had a good season at, at Arsenal. Like he was, you know, in the England, in the England squad. Um, he was kind of, you know, his life was kind of turning around after his, after his issues. Um, but uh, yeah, he basically, Gibson offered him more money than Burkamp was getting at Arsenal. So, yeah. uh, and Paul Merson his, you know, his offer to the Arsenal. They said, well, we can't pay this. So he went up to Middlesbrough and, um, I think he lived in London for the first few months and he was commuting every day. Um, and then they, even then he moved in with his brother, they paid his brother to live with him in, uh, just outside Middlesbrough and Hatton Rugby. Um, so yeah, I mean, but, I mean, but, but, but that following season is full of all these crazy stories. In some ways it's, uh, it's just as fascinating season as the 96, 97, but, um, yeah, I'm, you know, with people like Gaza arriving, I mean, it was, it was a really, it was a, it was a really fun season and, you know, we, we, um, yeah, we we went we went straight back up. Um, it was just a great time, and we we had another cup run. Um, we got to the final again, where we lost to Chelsea again in the in the League Cup final. Um, but that, that, that's definitely one of my the ninety six ninety seven season is definitely the most memorable and the most exciting. And mm. uh, but that ninety seven ninety eight was probably the most kind of fun I've had as a as a Borough fan in a way because you know we were doing great in the league. We were playing you know awesome football, Palmas, and you know he was. Just, just class above everyone in that league. I mean, it's. I mean, it's. Just, I don't think that the, the uh, first division of a championship has ever seen a player that good, really. Um, no, and and remember, he ended up in the England squad for the World Cup yeah. of a championship season, which is unheard of. I know. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and and the stories of like him and Gaza living together that have uh, kind of gone to folklore now. It was just a yeah. It was, it was a really fun season. I mean, it's kind of sad the way. Gaza, you know, Gaza was that, that was he was a Borough player when he obviously he didn't make the England squad. You know, we had that mm. whole thing the huddle. Uh, so we never we never really saw the best of him, but we saw we saw glimpses of it. I just wrote an article for uh, the, the Borough Mag, which is a magazine, um, local magazine, and um, looking at Gaza's time, and it was kind of like the last glimpse of uh, of his kind of his his greatness, really. But um, he didn't quite work out. But then we all, you know we also signed Marco Branca, who was. He was still, you know, one of the top scorers in Italy at that point. So we were able yeah. to get, we were able to bring him in. Uh, he was, he was, he was brilliant. Um, Rickard, good player yeah, Rick, as well. Yeah, he he was. Uh, I mean, he was. Just, yeah, I mean, just bringing these. I think he he was at the World Cup as well. I think he was in the squad when we uh, played him in the World Cup. Um, yeah, it was. A, that, that was a great season. So Borough come up and stay up for a long time. I mean, they come up in 98 and they don't get relegated again until 09. So there's a 10-year run of Borough mm-hmm. and it's, you know, 9th, 12th, 14th, 12th, 11th, 11th, 7th, 14th, 12th and 13th. They're a solid Premier League club at that point. There's no relegation. 
non nonsense. They're not struggling. Alan Boxich comes in at one point. Massimo Macaroni comes in at one point. Uh, yeah. Alfonso uh, Alfonso Alves comes in. Like they continue to take big big swings at you know star name players who a lot of other clubs are chasing. But it was never really as exciting as that that two years, that 95-96 and 96-97. Those two years, and in particular the 96-97 season, there is just something magical about what Borough did in those two years. Yeah, because I was talking to uh, Rob Nichols, who he runs the fanzine for Middlesbrough. Um, and he was kind of, he read the book, and he was kind of saying that... Um, that's that nice six season was just like had such an impact on him and so many other borough fans. It was you know it's almost like uh, post traumatic stress in a way. This kind of, the way it's kind of like just lingered with people. And I've had multiple people message me saying, "Oh, but you know they they want you know it, the book sounds great, but they just can't bring themselves to read to read it. They just can't bring themselves to kind of re, to uh, you know relive the kind of heartbreak of it all." And uh, and Rob was saying that in a way the kind of the broken promise of that season meant that he never really kind of appreciated it. It was never really to let, he never really was able to let himself go. Mm. Um, but it, cause you know, we, we did win our first trophy in 2004 when we won the Carling cup. And then we, we had that great UEFA cup run in 2006. And those were like, those were the peak times as a Borough fan. You know, we, we, we've never had anything like that, but he was saying that he, he never really truly let himself enjoy it because at the back of his head he was just like still kind of suffering from the uh the the the, uh, the heartbreak of, of the 96 97 season so i think that's why it's it's kind of, it's been kind of an interesting period and i think the game has changed so quickly over the over the course of the next 20 years of the premier league i mean in 96 middlesbrough were truly able to compete financially but so quickly uh, the kind of power kind of drift, you know, kind of moved south, and then you know the, the way the Manchester clubs just kind of like just rose. Um, suddenly, it, it kind of you know the top six really kind of became and everything else. Uh, the football just kind of it just kind of kind of became a more cynical place. Um, so there were there were great times. McLaren was a much more he was a better coach than Robson. He you know he was he built better teams. Yeah, uh, so that that was, that was a great great period, but. You know, there was there's something about that, that Middlesbrough team in the '96 '97 season that we they, they kind of they did kind of grab grab hold of the opportunity, um, and the way it kind of spiraled out of control was it makes for a great story, but you know, it's just you, we'll, we'll never be able to experience that again as a Borough fan. Just that, I don't, just that, I kind of hope. I don't know that we'll ever experience anything like that from a Premier League point of view again. Mm. I don't know that we'll see a team come up. And really capture the imagination again, the way Borough did at that time, because there's just there's such a gulf now. Like you say, like there's 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 the top six, but in that top six, there's a mega rich three yeah. in City, Chelsea, and United. Then there's Liverpool, Arsenal, and Spurs. But there's a big gap financially between those two groups of three, and then there's an even bigger gap to everybody else. And yeah. It just it's so unlikely that we'll ever see anybody like this again where, like we said, someone would come up into the Premier League and, and just go and pluck Jack Grealish and pluck the biggest star or the biggest upcoming star from a major footballing nation again. It just it's not something that I I think we'll ever see happen again. And 
as you said, Burrow did go on. They 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 won um, the League Cup. They had a, a phenomenal two good two really good UEFA Cup runs. In fairness, mm. one where they finished, uh, they got to the quarterfinals uh, or the round of sixteen, I think, and one where they got to the final. But the, the magic of those those two years uh, w- under Robson um, in the middle of the nineties were just very very special. Yeah. So finally. It's been a while. Like Borough, they were in the league a couple of years in the, in the Premier League a couple of years ago for one season. It did not go well, and they dropped straight back down. Under Tony Pulis, they looked like they had a chance to come back up, and they got rid of him and brought in Jonathan Woodgate, and it didn't work. And now there's Neil Warnock. Is there any optimism around Borough with the fan base at the moment, where you look at it and think, right, you know, we might be. Maybe not in a position this year, but maybe in the next two or three years, we're going to be in a real position to make a charge in the Premier League again. Is Gibson still willing to invest the type of money that he was previously? Well, I mean, he definitely is. Uh, he is kind of he's kind of hamstrung in in terms of how much he can personally put in by the uh, FFB rules. Um, but I mean, he he is still bank bankroll. He, he puts in nothing the maximum amount he's allowed to in, uh, by the rules. Um, and, and you know, Rip Gibson is—he's getting, getting, you know, it's kind of his his reputation is kind of like he's losing his reputation a bit. I think at the club because the club has been a bit of a mess behind the scenes um, in the last kind of decade. Um, and, but I think I think it's just it's just kind of you just kind of have to accept that you are you are who you are almost in the football world these days. I mean, I don't think I just don't see how Middlesbrough ever could be anything more than like a yo-yo club. You know, maybe we'll fight for promotion on the odd occasion, but I, I, I don't really see how we could possibly be a, like a established Premier League club. I mean, sometimes I mean I, people talk about how they think of Liverpool as a Premier League club, but I just the way the way the football is world is right now. I just think that you know we, we might get promoted, we might get get on a run. Like we, we've got a great academy, and we've always produced good players. And at one point, you know, we we were producing people like Stuart Downing. Um, James Morrison and David Weir and you know we've got a new new some new players coming in, but just as quickly both. So I, it is kind of a, I mean, I, I, for me personally, I watching a championship team than a Premier League. I'd rather watch a team that competes in the championship than a team that's fighting for survival in the Premier League. So I'm not I'm not too too bothered about it. I don't really see us ever returning to to being an established Premier League club personally. I do always think there's probably more fun to be had in being a fan of a yo-yo club who has, you know, maybe a couple of close misses on promotion, then gets promoted, comes up, battles relegation, stays up, then goes down, and then, you know, rinse and repeat. Rather than, like, a sterile, you know, Crystal Palace, for example, you know, finishing 14th to 16th every year, watching Hodgson football, an aging squad, not much coming through the academy at all, anything like that. Whereas uh, what you've described with Burrow, as you've said, there's a great academy there. And Nathan Wood looks to me like a real, real star that you've got coming through there. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I think there's an awful lot more fun to be had in being that yo-yo club who maybe always falls a step short, but every year there's some excitement. Every year they're winning games because the bottom line is as a football fan, it's far more fun to watch your team win a game than lose a game, no matter what division you're in. 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely is. But I, but I guess part of the problem is that it's, it's just harder to be a Yo-Yo club because if you get promoted, you get flush with cash and you, you spend ridiculous amounts of money. But then if you don't stay up, suddenly you've got this ridiculous wage bill you can't handle and all these players want to leave. So I mean, it's, it's, you know, you, it's quite quite common to see teams get relegated and then turn into uh, and um, deteriorate pretty quickly if you look at teams like Stoke. So it's just a um, middlesbrough. We're, co- we're constantly in, in rebuild mode. Uh, mm. I feel like every season there's some article that comes out and saying, oh, Middlesbrough are under rebuild. Like, we're under rebuild under Warnock now. Last season it was Warnock, uh, Woodgate, as uh, Pulis and Gary Monk. And so it is, it, is, it, is an, it, is kind of, it is kind of disheartening right now. But I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'd love it if Gibson could have one last, one last uh, kind of moment as, as chairman because um, it's, it it's been a pretty depressing last 10 years really when you when you compare to what we had and, I, and that's kind of, I, I write in a book about how you know fans often say but like it's it's a hope that kills you but i think really it's like it's a hope that you kind of live for really and that's what gibson had had in 96 in that period and it's and that's what's missing in the club right now unfortunately well the book is you're joking aren't you it's available on all platforms from pitch publishing uh, it's the story of Middlesbrough's incredible 96-97 season. I'm about a third of the way through it. I think it's a must-read for all football fans. If you're a Borough fan and you can't bring yourself to read it, buy it and put it on your coffee table. At some point, you'll want to relive that season. Because at some point of watching Neil Warnock's team play football or another rebuild, you're going to want to just have a bit of joy and remember signing Janino and Ravinelli and Barmby and getting promoted and making a splash and being the talk of the football world. Middlesbrough, the talk of the football world, that's exactly what they were for about two years. Yeah. And that's what fans should live for. Tom, this has been brilliant. Is there going to be a follow-up? Is there anything else in the works or where can people find your work? Yeah, um... I mean, I've been thinking about writing a book about the the following season because I think it is full of uh, some great stories, and I think it, w- it would be, I think it would be an interesting read for Borough fans. Um, so yeah, I'm looking into that. Um, I haven't got any immediate plans for a book right now, um, but I definitely like to write another one. Um, but yeah, you, you can follow me on um, on Twitter at Tom Flight, and I, I write for a, for a few different magazines and stuff. Um, yeah, ho- hopefully one day I'll write uh, another book. Hopefully so. Thank you so much for your time, Tom. I'll speak to you again. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.